Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. My name is Luke Kappa. I am the managing editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we are doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. There you can read all of our latest reviews, listen to all of our latest podcasts, learn about our Blister membership and Blister Plus membership programs, pre-order our 2023-2024 Winter Buyer's Guide, and a whole lot more. Today, I am talking with Magnus Grenier, aka Ski Man Guy, and Per Haglund, aka Paben, who, in addition to each having storied careers as professional skiers, filmmakers, and being key members of The Bunch, are also two of the founders and owners of 1000 Skis. Launched just a couple years ago, 1000 Skis does things differently in many ways. They were founded in Sweden by a group of pro skiers, photographers, and friends. Their ski lineup is deliberately concise and features designs not often seen in the rest of the market, and they've made reducing their environmental impact a priority from the very start. So I talked to Magnus and Paven about all of this and a whole lot more, including their prototyping process, how uh, all of the founding members ended up voting for the same exact prototype without any prior discussion, and the balance of making skis for themselves and everyone else. We also get into the takeaways from their partnership with the Research Institute of Sweden and the resulting life cycle analysis of their products and business, the challenges and rewards of the unique ways in which they've been filming the upcoming Bunch film, why they like what's currently happening in free skiing, what they hope to see from the industry in the future, and more. Uh, we also touch on why Paben had to break into a French villa to record this conversation, so be sure to catch that part. Anyway, as illustrated by their wide-ranging personal careers in the snow sports world, Magnus and Paben are thinking a lot about all sorts of this world's different elements and aspects, so it was really fun to get their thoughts on a whole bunch of them. So with that, let's get right into it. All right. Well, I'm here with Magnus and Paben from 1000 Skis, and today we're going to kind of just go over a little bit of everything about the brand, how it started since you guys are still relatively new to the scene, how it's been going so far, and then dive into some of the the more technical details of the lineup as well as just trying to get your guys' thoughts on gear in general, snow sports in general, all of that. But for starters, could each of you just give us, for the listeners, a bit of a background on who you are each? So maybe Magnus, we'll start with you. All right. Uh, thank you, Luke. Stoked to be on this podcast. Um, yeah, so I'm from Sweden and um, me and Paben went to this ski academy together 10 years ago and started a thing called The Bunch and got a bunch of videos that sort of our some of our idols first started sharing kind of like Liam Downey and Mike Hornbeck and stuff um that really sort of spiraled our career and we you know gave us all the motivation we needed to kind of pursue the career as professional skiers and then having you know all the homie support around that to really helped us in that direction and then we've been kind of yeah, we've been working as pro skiers for a long time and 
created a bunch of movies and gotcha that's a very succinct way of uh describing what i would call a a, a very wide-ranging career um how about you David? <laughs> yeah i mean uh, i think uh magna thanks for thank thanks for having us firstly and um i think uh magnus pretty much uh covered it uh, in terms of uh like skiing wise and um we're both from pretty small towns in sweden and uh um met in school and just started skiing as much as we could working hard in the summer ski just living full-on ski bum lives and started getting some traction and got some sponsors and uh pursued the the professional careers and and um always been uh, been big time into filming and photography as well but mostly filming um so that's definitely been a big part of my career as well, like having filming on the side of skiing. It's usually pretty confusing when people say like, so what are you doing? I'm like, yeah, I'm a skier. And then like, yeah, so are you skiing or are you filming? Or like, I do both. And people are like, what? Like, so you're a filmer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's but, what uh, yeah. I never, I, I always thought I was going to at some point choose what I was going to do, but I still haven't figured out what I'm going to do uh, when I grow up. I <laughs> yeah, P- Paben is kind of confused every year. Like, it's like, well, this this year I'm going to be a skier. And then he gets, like, slammed with all these film job opportunities. And he's like, well, uh, maybe I didn't ski as much as I wanted. But, like, next year I'm, like, I'm, I'm all into skiing. Or, like, he'd be like, I'm, yeah. It's kind of every year it's either he's going to be a filmer or a skier. You know, it's it's always kind of the mix. Maybe you just... I think the mix you're in you're in the mix uh I think I think you're too invested to kind of just use one of the parts well yeah and that's a good lead-in to kind of what brought us to this conversation not only are you guys skiing filming doing all sorts of stuff but you decided to start a ski company uh so you can add this that to the uh list of things to list off when someone asks you what you do um so 1000 skis uh you're now a couple seasons old um but how how would you describe the brand obviously you make skis but kind of what is your perspective on the brand and and why was it started in the first place so i i think um why it was started in the first place i think we were just very curious of like we were We've been in the ski industry for so long and at some point you just get curious into what you can do uh, yourself to contribute uh, on like a on a bigger level and also being in the industry for so long it's like it was kind of easy for us i think to see what we were missing even at, like if it was in terms of how the skis performed or how teams were managed or uh, at least for me like that was a big part of it um and it's funny, like describing the brand. I, I uh, I've been surfing now uh, for for quite some time, and uh, it's pretty funny how in in skiing, skiing has become so performance oriented when it comes to gear. It's all about performance. It's like either it's a it's a low performing ski made for a beginner or it's a high performing ski for an advanced athlete and there's a straight line in between 
Uh, whereas in surfing, it's so obvious that there are different types of boards for different types of riding styles and whatever you want. And 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 an easy and an easy board to ride is not necessarily a bad board for an advanced rider. And that's where we are as a ski company. I think it's a it's a ski. Our skis are very easy to ride, but they all open up doors for advanced skiers that other skis don't kind of um yeah i just had to <laughs> i just had to do that one because i've been thinking a lot about it and i've been discussing with with the surfers uh that like phenomenon in in skiing uh, and i think it in terms of the product i think that's like pretty accurate or what would you say magnus yeah absolutely yeah we you know a lot of people think that our skis are, are only for professional skiers like they're like we can't buy your skis because you know, they see our videos and they're like, no, we, we're not that good at skiing, so we could never ride these skis. But I think they're actually great for beginners as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I like that. And um, and to describe, like, the ski brand, I'd say one of our biggest advantages is, like, starting a ski brand, you know, two years ago in, with, with a couple of young guys that have sort of, uh, uh, you know, socially and environmentally responsible thinking, you know, as a foundation, you know, coming from Sweden and kind of like shaping a brand with that perspective and also wanting to create a, a brand that, you know, not compromising in quality, like trying to, you know, just create the best skis with the best possible quality that we can. So like an honest and like an honest and transparent brand that like really wants to be the best brand, like, that's, I think, what we're trying to do. And obviously there's a lot of good brands out there, but we're trying trying our hardest. So they, they better try as hard as they can too. Because um, we will. Gotcha. Yeah, I think I think that makes sense. And um, that, that kind of uh, balancing act of being pro skiers, designing skis, you want to ski, but also making skis that just about anyone can ski. I think that's something that uh, a lot of brands are constantly fighting with, but especially 1000 being founded by predominantly professional skiers. Uh, I'm curious if you guys have thoughts on whether, do you think that idea that, well, these are the skis that only pro, these pro skiers are skiing, so I can't ski them. Do you think that's more of just uh, a misconception or has there been some sort of kind of an effect of marketing where people think that only pro skiers can ski these types of skis? Cause I'm thinking of even pro models from other brands. A lot of the times they're some of the easier skis to ski. They are generally more expensive, but do you guys have any thoughts on that or any key takeaways you had when you were thinking about balancing that I want to ski these skis, but I also want just about anyone to be able to ski them. I think, I think to me, it's like, we, we haven't really put that much thought into it. Like in terms, we've made, uh, like we've made skis that we really want to ride because that's also like some people come, come like asking me as friends, you know, and they're like, like, are they actually good? Like, <laughs> you know, trying to get the scoop. Like, did you guys, did you guys do it? <laughs> and, and it's, uh, and it's funny cause <clears throat> like when we started, um, I think we were four people like 
getting rid of our contracts, uh, like our ski contracts. And, and it, it, it was not only like making a brand that can economically support us, but we also need a ski that we can perform our highest on. So it's like mm-hmm. double, double nervousness when we went to try the first prototypes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but back to the question, I think, um, for us, like the way we ski with like coming from the bunch and, and like the way we started skiing 10 years ago, um, I think has always been kind of, um, uh, relatable to more average skiers. Like some tricks you see are like so far away from your own skill level, but watching people do like flat ground tricks or like not doing a quad flip, but doing something on the ground is more relatable. And, and, and our, I think our skiing might be more relatable than a lot of other people's. And that also comes with skiing on skis that are more relatable, I guess. Um, do you have something to say, Magnus? Uh, mm, mm, just that I think that, or we think that the abs or like that, you know, a beginner skier will, will most likely have a better time on a bit of a softer ski. Because it's just more forgiving and it's like a smoother ride, you know, if you're not going crazy fast and stuff. So our thing is like, you know, a lot of people are just buying these freaking, you know, gnarly ass freaking launcher skis where we 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 our skiing, you know, provides a kind of soft and and a smooth ski and which benefits mm, beginners. Yeah, makes sense. Um in terms of the prototyping process, uh, I'm curious how how long that process was and if, if you guys had any notable takeaways during it. Like, did you try a, a wide range of designs or were you, did you have some sort of idea what you wanted to start with going into it or any just, yeah, interesting experiences when you were, I mean, basically coming up with skis from scratch? I think, uh, <laughs> to me, my biggest takeaway is just that there are so many variables, mm-hmm. like so many, like I've been, oh, I've always been interested and very like kind of nerdy in production or like not in production, but how skis are made and like what makes the difference. Like I come from a ski racing background too. So I've, it's always been a lot about gear and like. I was just like, when we started thinking about it, just looking into, okay, we want to try this type of wood in the core, but then you can only try that. You know, you mm-hmm. can't try this, the new steel edge and the new top sheet and the new base layer and the triaxial or uh, glass fiber or the biax glass fiber. Like there are so many different things that you want to try. And that's like without even talking about the shape of the ski. Mm-hmm. And you have to try every single one of them. Like you can do it. You don't try everything, of course, because that would be impossible. There is like an infinite amount of, uh, you do a lot of like qualified guesswork and, and then you just have to, um, uh, yeah, lean into what feels right. And, and to me, to me, that was like my biggest takeaway being like coming from the start was like, whoa. There are so many variables, uh, and 
yeah, that's definitely what I what I thought was uh, super interesting to see and has been a really fun uh, thing to play around with as well. Yeah, and and for the process we we did we started with like the thickness of the ski. Um, we had a, a shape we wanted to have, and then we made a bunch of different uh, that we really liked as well. Um, so that was the first one. And then like, you know, um, trying different thicknesses and we all did blind tests. We've done blind testing on all these uh, prototype testings. And then we skied them for like two days, five of us without talking a single time on the sharelift, just like <laughs> everyone was just writing notes on their phones. And then we all ended up voting for this, for the same ski. So that was really nice. Mm, and then that was pretty crazy too i know we all i think we all were kind of surprised how close we were on what we wanted like because we came from pretty different types of skis yeah like the four like the four of us uh and with Ulrich too like i was like i thought it was going to be a big like big discussion <laughs> like where we were like i think mine is going to be a way over on this side and i'm going to be way over on this side uh but we all like we pretty much agreed right away and that was uh, surprising and very very nice i think yeah i think that's a, a good testament to the uh i mean a connect obviously you guys are all very close but uh that's almost like a, a subconscious <laughs> connection between you all um because yeah like you said you all were coming from pretty different skis across the whole group um once you were settled on the models that you guys came up with have you noticed now that you're on skis that you went through the whole development process for from scratch designed what you wanted to design has there been a, a perceivable impact on it or has that influenced your own skiing styles or moved it in different ways or progressed it in ways that you couldn't before yeah um yeah absolutely i feel like yeah yeah, it's, it's, I'm using kind of less effort in doing sort of tricks that I've, you know, and I wanted to do before with these, with a thousand skis, like it takes, takes me less, less effort. And it's kind of, it's easier in some ways to like find balance points in, in like butters and stuff in these skis. And also like, I'm really, I'm really happy about how these skis like turn, like how much edge is touching the ground and how smooth they are to just ski. Um, cause I was usually, it was always skiing. Like, you know, I had my pro model, but I was like also getting like the skis. Um, they, they were, they came like pre-grinded on the edges for, for rails and stuff like that. And, you know, I've, I'm coming, I come from skiing the park. Like I started skiing park in my backyard. I've never done ski racing or anything like that. I've done a whole lot of skiing. But I would say it just opened turning for me a lot, like and just skiing, like in between the features and stuff like that. So that was huge. Yeah, and for me too. I think my biggest aha moment was uh, skiing the powder skis, uh, actually, because I've always felt like going from because I've been skiing a lot of park skis, maybe an all mountain width type ski. Uh, that I ski all over the mountain and like ski a lot of park and 
Then I go out to ski powder and I just like put my powder skis on and she's like, Kadoosh! Damn, these are now we're on some big skis, you know? And it like limits what I it's always been like it's I don't know if it has limited me, but it always felt limiting to have that big of a ski that feels that it just feels big. And like I want to go into, I want to do the same stuff I do on my park skis or whatever, but I want them to float in powder. And first time I put on the powder skis, I think we were skiing in Sermat or something. And I just got on the power ski and I did a peanut butter five over a knuckle, like that easy. And I was like, whoa, these are 116. And it feels like I'm like, I could, I could run this in the park like easy. And then just like going into power and it's a 116 ski. Uh, that, that was to me, it was, I thought it was groundbreaking kind of. Uh, I had no idea that they were actually going to feel the way they did, you know, before testing them, of course. And then I tried them and I was like, whoa, this is something I almost didn't know how much I wanted it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like for people who haven't looked super closely at the line, there's definitely... There's a lot of similarities just on paper between the three models. Um, I mean, obviously, if you see them, they're all red and they all look very similar, but they're not not super tapered. They're generally typically softer, um, fairly symmetrical, uh, tend to be pretty light as far as I understand. Um, and so was that was that consistency in terms of being able to hop on the park model one day, then the all mountain, then the powder and feel not, not have a huge adjustment period. Was that a main goal going into creating the line? Mm, I don't think we were like, at least for me, I wasn't really thinking about it too much, Mm -hmm. but we started, so we started with the, with the park model and we grew the other models out from there kind of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wasn't. I I don't think I had like, I wasn't. I didn't know why I was doing that, per se. But I definitely, I definitely subconsciously was thinking about it probably. Um, uh, but nothing. Not. I wasn't. No. For to answer your question, no. Gotcha. Gotcha. So not <laughs> deliberate, but more of a, a natural progression during the process. That it makes sense and. I mean, yeah, the fact that you guys settled on that that first ski without discussing it makes sense that kind of the following models follow the same trend. Um, but in addition to like we're talking like side cuts and shapes and rocker profiles and flex patterns, the environmental impact was obviously a focus for you guys from the start. Can you tell me a bit about how you went about not only uh, trying to reduce it, but also estimating it in the first place. We've seen that become slightly more popular just recently, but especially for a new brand seemed fairly rare in terms of doing like life cycle analysis and carbon footprint estimations. Um, but yeah, maybe just tell us about the process of first figuring out what these ski, what the impact of these skis actually is, and then how you went about trying to reduce that. Yeah, I can jump in on that since I'm the head of sustainability along with my buddy Levi. Um, yeah, so I like working within sustainability. There is just so much opportunity, uh, especially in Sweden. Like, I mean, I think 
probably elsewhere too. I just know Sweden. Um, there is, cause there is a there is a science uh, like a science center you could call it called Rise it's Research Institute of Sweden, and they basically help companies become more sustainable with like or like bring out new products, new technologies that will you know create usually in in the field of sustainability like um so they we contacted them pretty early on and they were so happy to help us out like they've been they they did the whole life cycle assessment um and they're you know they're scientists it's very it's a very legit life cycle assessment and um and it's just incredible to see the amount of help we've been getting from these places just because we've publicly shown that we're focusing on sustainability and we've kind of had our antennas out. But honestly, a lot of the stuff felt like it's, it's been coming to, to us. And we've also worked with Science Park Burros, which is like they, they sort of assess your whole company. It's like you know, on every single level, like social sustainability, sustainability and environmental sustainability, you go through a whole assessment and, and get kind of a score on like your overall sustainability score, basically. And through that program, we really, we learned like what to focus on pretty much. Um, and we, we learned, we learned about these principles too, that we kind of took to heart within this, within the company. So that was one of the reasons where we were making merch and it was produced in China. It was organic cotton and stuff. It was pretty good. And we, we did uh, draw it, but it wasn't like templates. It was, you know, our own cuts and stuff. But since we kind of really took those principles to heart, we, we didn't want to continue with that, with that merchandise because it wasn't within those uh, principles, basically. So we kind of, and, and that's, it's it's pretty nice to have that kind of framework to work in sometimes because it's it just gives you a clearer path of like okay we can do this this is worth putting our time into like you know and then just starting like that straight off the bat being like super serious about sustainability you know we don't have to run through our whole operation you know changing everything up because like at least we're seeing legislation coming in sweden and europe and stuff is pushing hard so we're just trying to stay ahead of the curve there and we've been able to get great support from yeah from different different uh areas basically um yeah so it's been awesome really and and yeah we like it's some of the things that we do it's like we have 100 percent renewable energy mm, and also the factory we work with or or ski factory there they are very sustainably focused as well and have like done huge investments to cut their energy consumption like by um reusing the energy from the heat because we do um uh, we do um pre-pregged layup um so the glue is in the flax fiber which also is a good you know you you save a lot of glue it's not hazardous for the workers and stuff like that um but you use a lot of heat so that heat is getting uh, recycled and he heats up the facility during the daytimes of working. And then they also drill like a thousand meter geothermal energy hole where they, you know, use that energy as well for heating. Um, so they, they cut the emissions on their factory by 50% and they were like, 
at 50%, you know, compared to their competitor. Mm. So there's a bunch of different things that, and yeah, I mean, there's, I feel like I can go on forever about this. There's a lot more topics, but we can, uh, yeah, maybe we just need to know that uh, we're serious about sustainability. And, uh, and, and yeah, having this life cycle assessment is, is a great tool because like, then we can actually know, you know, the change, we'll update it, you know, once we make a material change in the ski, you know, we'll talk to Rice and they're going to measure, you know, what that change is going to do on a CO2 level. And then we'll see, of course, like, is this a big improvement in quality? Because quality is also, is that, that's always focus number one, because we can have more skis last as long as possible. That's a huge thing. So then you have to kind of see like, uh, it's, it's a huge extension in, in, in lifetime of a ski, but it may be a higher emission. It might still be a worth, uh, worth the change. And it's super, I think it's super interesting too, because I'm not as, uh, uh, like, he, I don't know the details as much as Magnus does, because he works with it on a daily basis, but I think it was super interesting when we, when we did the life cycle assessment with Rice in the beginning, just seeing, like, where the focus should be, because I think that's, and I think that's something that is really hard for the consumer to know as well. Like me thinking I'm a com consumer, it's like, of course, the first thing I think about is like uh, shipping with flight. That was like, okay, that's, that's, that's got to be on the top. Like that's, that has to be the biggest thing. But then you do the life cycle assessment and it's like, oh, okay, that, like, that's pretty far down, you know? And just like getting to know things like, I don't know, using carbon fiber is like really bad because it's made from coal energy in China and it takes so much energy to heat it up and make it so that it, like if you use that, you can just like do whatever because it's not going to change on the spectrum. Um, and I think, yeah, that, that was super, very, very interesting uh, for me to just like go through that process and, and see what what we should actually focus on and and now that we know we actually do as well with magnus and levi going super super hard into it and it's it's so to me it's so calming and like i know that i can like back it up there's no greenwashing going on like I, I, we can, I, I bet if Magnus says something to me, like, this is what we do. I know like, this is what we do. And, and we're not trying, we don't have meetings about what we're gonna, how we're gonna say we do something. We say what we do. And, and I think that's as, as the, one of the business owners, I think it's very calming to just know that we're telling the truth and we're, that's how we're moving forward. Kind of. Yeah. I, I mean, having that sort of support to do that in depth of an analysis from the start especially yeah ironically starting from scratch might might be a benefit in that regard because you're not trying to switch from an existing process like most brands are um and yeah i think the the point of like obviously greenwashing is something that we're all becoming increasingly aware of but i mean a simple thing like the fact that you guys dropped your all of your merch because of its environmental impact like a lot of people probably don't know but like 
not a lot of people buy skis, but a lot of people can buy a $30 t-shirt and it usually has really good margins. So just cutting that is a, a pretty, I think that's a pretty valid uh, point backing you guys up in that regard. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm super curious about, I really want to get out to that factory at some point. Cause it sounds like the coolest place ever based on everything I've heard about it. That is really cool actually. Yeah. They, they have an awesome team over there. And it's cool to see a factory that's, you know, successful, like in Sweden. I feel like it's just, it's a unique factory for sure. And they're also like, so that, you know, they're passionate about building skis. So we're, we're happy, really happy to work with them. Yeah. In terms of like how, uh, we've been talking a lot about it and it's, and it's so, I think it's really hard for companies that's been around for a long time. Um, like, I think it's almost impossible to like redo yourself, like it, on the level that you need to, <clears throat> because having, imagine a company like, uh, pushing, pushing to make their ski, like the cheapest way possible for 40 years. They're trying to just like lower the price of their production for 40 years without a single thought on environment because it hasn't been a thing. And then all of a sudden you have to go, okay, the environmental thing we have to think about. There is no way you're like, you're not pitching that in a meeting, like backing it up with a, like with economy. Like that's, that's going to be like, now we're back now we're back over here you know so i think just like a, a a big company that's been around for long it's i think it's very very if not impossible i think it's very rare that it actually happens on on the level that, that a new company can do it because we start in the other end like yeah our skis are really expensive to produce right now hopefully they will be cheaper like farther down the line but we start in the in the, in in the good end, so to say, and uh, work our way down from there. And I think that's like like something that a new company can do that is really really hard for an old company. Pivoting to uh, the design, like aesthetic aspect of the brand, for anyone who's watched basically any bunch video, uh, I think it's clear that you guys are very attentive to how things look um is there time for matching socks is probably my favorite ski movie of all time in large part due to the cinematography um but the first thing that probably just about anyone notices when they see a pair of 1000 skis is the color um can you talk about first the decision to just go monotone um they all they're just a solid color they all look generally the same and then I'm also curious how you guys ended up with that particular shade of red. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's so cool. You you like it's a time for matching socks that much. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, like, um, I don't know. I don't really know how we how we came to the red. I feel like the red kind of like came to us, and then we like a lot. I mean. It was some or basically I feel like the red came to us and then kind of along the way we realized how freaking amazing it was like or at least that's how I felt about it. Um, we had maybe 
thought it through slightly, you know, when someone presented it. I don't even know who presented it, but we had the we had the idea of single color for a bit, and then boom, someone dropped the red, and everyone's like, oof. Um, and then sort of along the way, you've realized more and more like how freaking nice it is to have a single color skis in terms of like, yeah, the fact that people don't have to uh, buy new skis because of they get outdated. You know, that's a big one. And then also that we don't have to put discounts on our skis because our, you know, we have old graphics. And we also, we're trying to not have like a discount we're not trying not use discounts because we want to communicate an honest price to the consumer or customer and be like, this is our price always. Like, you, yeah, same price now as in December or as any time, really. Um, and also, like, if you if you pull up with a pair of old thousand skis in the slope, like, no one will will be like, hey, you got what? What's their old? What those old dusty skis? Like, you know, you won't be able to tell, basically. Um, yeah, David, do you want to fill in fill in on this one? Um, yeah, I think uh, the no graphic thing was it was pretty funny. We, we did the when we did the US tour this uh, January and February. This uh, <clears throat> we were a bunch of people on thousand skis, and and I I get on the lift with the uh, with this uh, dad, and he just like looks at looks at my skis, and he goes. Hey, what's the what's the deal with uh, these uh, old red skis? I've been seeing them everywhere, uh, and I start talking to him about it and like what it is, blah blah blah. And he says like, "But why don't you have any graphics on it? Like, don't you guys think about marketing?" And I just like, I almost started laughing on the lift, like. <laughs> You you just like you just proved yourself. Like <laughs> the only reason you came to talk to me about this was because they didn't have a graphic on them. And I, yeah, it's uh, it's funny how it works. And 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 it's nice that you don't like there are no trends, like huge environmental thing too. Like feeling like you don't have to buy new skis because there's a new graphic. And I I know for a fact that a lot of brands just have the exact same ski mm-hmm. exact same model same ski change the graphic every year and they're, they're presented as the new ski of 2023 and it's like the same ski as 2022 <laughs> <laughs> and it, i think it's hilarious and it's just not it's not honest and we're we're all about like being honest so i think that's it's pretty nice to have yeah, yeah, we're uh, we're currently um, working on our upcoming buyer's guide, going through hundreds of skis, and there are uh, certain skis in there that, yeah, constructionally haven't been changed in. I think there's a couple that haven't been changed in a decade, but their graphics have been changed a lot. But fun- like yeah. on snow, they're the same ski. Um, the uh, the all all one single color graphic also opens up the possibility. I've seen some very cool. Uh, people just drawing on their 1,000 skis with some some very cool results. Uh, but that that chairlift story, I, I'm curious if now that you're probably seeing more of these skis out in the wild, have you are there any like highlight moments uh, you've experienced in terms of meeting people who are on the skis, having a good time on them, or anything like that? Um, I remember uh, uh, a DM we got because we <laughs> Paven is the master of customer support, and I. 
I, I did it before, I help out a bit now. So you get to talk to the customers quite a lot and it's quite fun. Um, but um, yeah, like some, this guy just wrote this like phenomenal message about like how he was so frustrated at us that we, you know, we've ruined his ski days because like everyone would come up to him asking about his skis and it's like, and I don't even freaking get a time for myself in the slope anymore. You guys are like the worst. And then, but he ended it with like a little blink emoji or something like he was like, but it was like a phenomenal, like I read the whole, I was like reading this thing and I'm like, it was, it was so long until I like realized, you know, he's, oh, he's fuck, he's just kidding. You know, he's just kind of playing with me. But yeah, that was hilarious. Yeah. And I've heard that from like so many people too. Like they're definitely a hot topic. You know, people, people want to know how they, how they ski. And they also, yeah, the red design, of course, attracts the eye. Um, but that was a funny moment, uh, the customer. Yeah, I like the, I like the, I really like the guy we met in, um, in Alta, in, in Salt Lake in Alta, this, uh, guy who has a watermelon farm in Las Vegas, I think. Mm. Uh, and he, uh, and he just, uh, <laughs> we met him the night before and he just came up to, to demo a pair of skis and he just goes, he looks at us and he goes, I'm going to try these skis now. If I like them, I'm going to buy them. <laughs> and, then he and then he takes one run and he comes down and he says, I like them. I'm buying them. <laughs> <laughs> and he bought them there at the spot. And it was, uh, yeah, that was a funny moment. There you go. Yeah. And to add to his character too, he, he was also streaming on Twitch as he was skiing, <laughs> like a live stream. Like that was just on, like on his stomach, just a live stream from his whole ski day. <laughs> and you can go in and like, <laughs> I don't know. He said it didn't have that many viewers. People watching or something? <laughs> it sounds like a character. Now I want some watermelon. <laughs> and I think it's like, I think it's one of my, my biggest things with people like trying them because I think there's also a misconception of... Um, stiff skis means stability mm -hmm. like that's that's i think it's a pretty big misconception that that is like um an equivalent like stiff mm -hmm. equals stable and it's that's it can be but it's not the only thing and i think it's been really fun seeing people coming from stiff skis being like yeah like i charge pretty hard you know i do big cliffs and i ski fast and through crud and stuff and like i don't know if this guy's gonna hold up and then they try them and they come down and it's like whoa like it's pretty stable man it's like <laughs> yeah it's not it's not all about stiffness you know because if you feel like if you have them in your hand and you feel them and you're, you're gonna be like whoa that's a soft ski but then when you ski them, there's like a lot of ski touching the ground. They don't have that much rocker. Like the wood we've like chosen for the old mountain ski has a lot of dampening effect, which makes it more stable. And yeah, I think that uh, that's been really fun for me because that's like the one thing that always comes up is like too soft for me, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And like you said earlier, like, there are so many variables that go into how a ski performs and we've yeah we've tried to emphasize this especially like i don't know five or six years ago when all the rage was making really light directional stiff inbound skis like resort skis 
and people like companies have gotten better at it but like from the start we're like really stiff and light is not gonna make for a ski that feels all that nice especially in firm or snow or at high speeds and like crud or chop um so yeah i'm always happy that uh there are other people out there spreading the word that stiffness is a factor but it's not yeah like you said it's not an equation where one stiffness equals one stability um, exactly yeah yeah still still fighting that fight every day um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh in terms of i do want to we've alluded to the the three models in the lineup um from the get-go you guys went with a pretty simple but uh distinct model uh lineup with three models can you just run us through what the three are um they're pretty if people know the names of them they're pretty self-explanatory but how they differ kind of who they're for and all that yeah i i think they're they're as they like they they are the same line of skis for sure and and as we talked about starting with the park ski and then building out from there and as we also touched on is that they're they're all pretty soft um they're all easy to ride and and the few it's for everyone to feel like when you get on those skis like you're skiing the ski no matter your how good or bad you are you're not gonna feel like whoa these skis are just like skiing away from me and i I think that's the whole whole base base of the whole line and then i don't know the 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 names love the names (laughs) park old mountain and powder it's like you there's no confusion to be had uh and the only confusion there might be is if you ski inbounds and you don't ski park you're like there's no ski for me uh but but the the park ski actually is a really nice just carving ski uh short turning radius and yeah super super fun ski to just carve around on and me coming from racing too i've been really picky really picky about like how they turn it's always been a big factor for me because i that's like i love that type of skiing just carving and so i think that's uh yeah i mean the names are so self-explanatory that i barely have to say (laughs) say anything (laughs) makes the sales pitch easy yeah yeah and i like so i think we designed these skis Based that on based on our skiing, this this lineup um, where we really try to perfect each one in its you know specific territory because we had you know one one thing we had coming up is like our park ski you know could be sold as an all mountain ski like do we lose customer because we call it the park ski and stuff like that. Um, and sometimes we tell people like, this is actually a great old mountain ski too, if you want the narrower model, but so then we were like, should we rename it maybe, but then we, we decided like, no, we should stick, stick to park or mountain and powder. And then like, you know, really specify it for that element. And then, you know, we, eventually we try to expand the line with, with the touring ski and like maybe a free ride ski and maybe some other inbound, like a more inbound ski or whatever, like, and then those would be, you know, more oriented specifically towards that, I guess. So instead of like trying to get a little bit too much into, you know, a ski, we wanted to kind of 
more specialized on the models. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Um, one thing I'm curious about, especially for you, Paven, coming from a racing background, but spending much of the most recent years on more center mounted, softer skis. Um, have you had any interesting takeaways or do you have any thoughts on kind of balancing mount point and well, with, as we've noted with all the other variables, but how do you, how you think about mount point in terms of, especially in terms of outside of freestyle skiing, like park skis are center mounted for a lot of very good reasons. If you're riding in the park, urban, whatever, they feel great in the air, they ski switch well, they're just balanced. Um, but I think, I think we're seeing, uh, one trend in skiing in terms of skis that are supposed to be fun on, on piece on groomers, but that don't look like anything like a race ski. Um, and yeah, yeah. Just curious on your take, uh, with your kind of unique background of both freestyle racing and now coming up with your own skis. I think, I think none of us ski any ski center mounted, like fully center mounted. I think some, maybe, I think Onion Teo might, uh, but I think uh, none of us do it. Not even the park ski in the park. Because mm-hmm. um, they just, we, I guess we grew up. <laughs> uh, no, but um, I think there's, like mounting points are just as personal as anything else with skiing. I think mm-hmm. like I ski my old mountain skis five centimeters back and I absolutely love it. Not everyone does. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I think, I think mount, mounting, mounting points are fun, but they're kind of overlooked because I think that you change, you change how the ski skis so much. Mm-hmm. from putting the if you put them center or if you put them two and a half back or if you put them five back or seven back like they're gonna change so much and that's another thing that people don't think about like like we were talking about stiffness equals stability it's like width equals float but also five centimeters back equals float mm-hmm. uh with talking about mounting points uh, like with the nose, just like holding you up, uh, and you don't have to be in the back seat when you ski powder, and and yeah, I think um, a lot of people. Th- I think a lot of people think that there's only one. Like you have a ski, and it's meant to be mounted here, uh, and that's it. Uh, a lot of customers think that too, at least, and and I think uh, that there's so much personal preference going into it. Um, it's a it's a tricky question because like yeah, like you said. Like when I, I end up reviewing skis with mount recommended mount points that range from dead center to 13 centimeters back from true center. And while we always start by testing a ski on its recommended line, I'm often pushing bindings forward on more directional skis or the opposite on really freestyle specific skis. Cause I don't come from a, a purely park background. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's important to reiterate that, um, you do have options, but also like, yeah, keep in mind that they are going to make impacts, um, in terms of 1000 skis is, is there sort of kind of a general range that you guys recommend? Like don't go past this or, or here's a, a rough range that we'd recommend for 
people who only ski in the park or directional skiers who are getting on this sort of ski for the first time? Any thoughts there in terms of what you're telling uh, people who are interested in the skis? Yeah, I think uh, I think a, a general answer there would be like dead center to 2.5 back, like more freestyle oriented. If you're used, like if you're used to skiing center mountain, like go there. But maybe try the like 2.5 back because you might just enjoy it even more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, like if you're used to skiing more traditional skis, then for sure like going 2.5 or even five. I think like those those are like the two slots kind of. Um, gotcha. And even like try, I think, I think try. I, at least I'm trying to push people to go a little bit farther back, um, because uh, me and Matt we we talk a lot about this. <laughs> yeah, I mean we we're customer support, and I'm always selling people like even on the parskis like maybe two centimeters back. I, I might usually ask them what they're skiing before, you know, and, and I tell them what I, what I do when all my skis and stuff. Um, but I, I think like maybe, you know, one and a half back on the park, something like that. And I'm like a three and a half, four back on the old mountain and a two and a half back on the powder ski. Um, yeah. Hearing that you guys are going all the way to potentially five back, it's going to break new schoolers. <laughs> <laughs> every every thread is how, how who's mounted these center is is minus one too far back <laughs> i think um i'd like to move a bit outside like the gear specific aspects as you guys introduced right off the bat um the bunch has been making all sorts of uh films for quite some time now and now uh given that a lot of the founding members of 1000 skis are part of the bunch um i'm curious what what you guys have been up to on that front um maybe just in the past season anything you're working on anything that you can or cannot uh tease about the future yeah um we we have a new project in the making um it's fun we have had a bigger part of the bunch participate take in this project it's going to be very experimental. We have filmed mainly with FPV drones. Uh, we're infusing some artificial intelligence in the editing process. Um, we are working very hard on like the soundscape and the soundtrack of it. Um, most likely designing a soundtrack from scratch with Hugo Burval, who's um, Who's been, who's been doing a lot of the sounds for us. And he's also like, he just does ski sounds, you know, he just does it great because he has, he knows exactly how that, how it sounds. And he has, you know, I don't know, 10 years of experience working with sounds as well. So that combination is like incredible. Cause like filming FPV, it's so hard to capture sound. You know, the, like the camera is like, it's so, or the, the drone is so loud. Um, so it's everything is, you know, made in posts. And even for many fences later, our last movie, we did that. And people were like, wow, the sound is so great, you know, but it's all, it's, it's Hugo playing ski sound on his keyboards that he's collected over the years. It's like left turn. Like, yeah, I imagine he's got just a million file, like left turn in 40 degree ice, left turn in <laughs> 20 degree ice. It's probably got yeah, like, stacked up hard drives, you know, snow. Like the, yeah, 
there could be a lot of details to those. But um, but also I wanted to add that uh, Jan Snilson, Jay Nilla, who has done a lot of our, his he was he it was him and Payben mainly working on Easter Traffic matching socks, um, in the editing process. Uh, so Pape did a lot of filming, um, but yeah, he's 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 been directing this one like from scratch, you know, starting out with a plan before we started producing it basically, and he's editing the whole piece. And I have a lot of trust in him, so I'm really excited to see where this uh, experiment will land. But I know that he, he's, I trust his skill. Um, in terms of, like, anyone who's watched uh, the Bunch's movies, it does seem there's a sense of deliberateness to them that is, can, can be lacking in ski movies, um, especially, like, bigger budget ones. Was there anything uh, really challenging or really fulfilling about having someone come in with specific ideas for this film, which, I mean, any major production is done like that, but you're skiing as a part of that, and skiing is a lot more unpredictable than just shooting a scene on a set. Was there Were there any challenges or unexpected upsides of that process? I think, I think like something that we've been working on for years, I guess, is that, um, imagine like, cause usually you're, you're filming skiing uh, or being filmed skiing and you're trying a trick. And when you land that trick, you're done. Like you got the trick, like the filmer got it. But so what we're trying, a lot of the times what we're trying to do now and that we've been working on for years, is like when you, when the skier lands the trick, maybe the filmer didn't land his trick, yeah. if that makes sense. So like to evolve, like to, to, to evolve and do things on the highest level, like the filmer also has to take risks because if the filmer always plays it safe, which usually is the case because there's someone like almost killing themselves in front of the lens, but <laughs> but if you can if you can get the writers like involved and and uh, uh, on board with with the vision enough that that they're willing to miss a shot uh, for the greater of the film, um, I think that's huge. And I think that's what we've been like kind of slowly working on, like coming to to where we are now. Like Easter time for matching socks, I think is a great example. That's kind of when we really went in to doing that. Uh, and just like even filming tricks, just filming half of the trick, you know? And like, <laughs> I don't know, like saying, telling someone that, like for me, filming a lot of it, like telling someone that like, can you, like, you're trying this, I'm just going to film half of it. And then, like, if you're not in tune with the project, you're going to be like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially if you're, like, sessioning some, like, one of the urban rails in that movie. <laughs> like, dude, yeah. I've, I've been trying to hit this all day. <laughs> now you're not even going to film it. Yeah, I think that, I mean, that just goes to show that the connections you guys have, have built and the, the trust that gets established over working together for that long. It's definitely a commitment in the process and it's 
And like Paven is saying, you really need to have the communication. Like, I need to look at the clip that Paven is getting and we need to like share the vision. Like we need to see it together to in order to like, because like it can be frustrating as a writer to put up with, you know, doing things over and over again. And like, you really need to be able to share that vision together. I think that's really important. And that's something we've been working on with this product as well, where we, we have been really looking at the clips at night. You know, we have been talking about the clip that we're trying to get because it's some of them have been kind of thought out and it's been kind of a long process. And a lot of them took like the whole day to get this kind of conceptual thing. And it's a lot of work, and it, and, but it turns out and the reward is amazing and it's it's great fun. But... It's also like a, dra a draining process. Uh, <laughs> so next year, I'm 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 just gonna freaking soul for it next season. That's my plan. Because I'm overdoing these freaking over ambitious projects. I'm freaking tossing in the towel. I'm gonna freaking go do turns. <laughs> so it, it it has its ups and downs, but it's it's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's um, the circle of ski films right there. I think. Mm -hmm. Like May, June comes and you're like, never doing this again. <laughs> and then you go to the premieres in October, November, and you're like smacked cinemas watching your shit and you get to see the movie on, a, on the big screen and you're like, damn, should probably make another one of those. <laughs> uh, just that I wasn't going to commit on like a big project pretty much, but uh, so we'll see what happens. Okay, well, I am very excited to see this project whenever all the hard work pays off and it's released to the public. Uh, in the meantime, people should definitely check out the Bunch edit from Swatch Nines, which is on the Nines YouTube channel. Uh, it's extremely impressive for, it's it's above and beyond what I've come to expect from like a, a few day event. Like obviously that setup is amazing. There's amazing athletes there, but uh, the level of refinement on an edit like that is super impressive. Um, so kudos to that. Uh, while I have you, I do want to ask as people who I assume are pretty tuned into the media world in general, do you have any anyone you want to shout out in terms of musicians, filmers, uh, whether they be in the snow sports industry or not, anything that you've really been digging recently? I've been watching a bunch of sailing uh, YouTubers, if because you, I'm trying to, yeah, like sail to Alaska or something, like sailing and skiing. That's that would be insane. Um, and those are not necessarily like all that good, but it's it's it. They have <laughs> they have some value to me at least. Magnus go Magnus goes on these crazy like. YouTube tracks where he just goes all into like now now it's sailing and it's like <laughs> when he says it's probably they're not that good even it's like probably true like, he's probably watching some janky stuff on his YouTube man <laughs> he's one of someone's five subscribers but he's loving it <laughs> exactly hey I like it you end up you end up finding some gems like that sometimes um, yeah. But uh, but I'll drop. Uh, we had we were talking about one like the other day that really inspired Gustav Cavallin and me. 
and and mainly Gustav because he he was the one that you could really see the inspiration coming and he, uh, through his filming he filmed a lot of our stuff and he's still filming he's working with us every day um you know on commercial products and whatnot and and even we we have a another film Link Tantaka that's not released yet that's a huge documentary um anyways a film called Koyani Squatsi um if people haven't seen that yet, they should definitely check it out. It's a great film. It's 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 uh, a mix of amazingly captured shots without any dialogue that just gives you a strong feeling, and it has a very good soundtrack to it. Uh, there's Koyani Squatsi, and then there's maybe Poyani Squatsi, or there's three films, but those are if you're trying to get inspired on some freaking frames and shots, watch those. And and in terms of shout outs, I um, I kind of since this is uh, kind of in the brand uh, world right now, I I definitely want to give a huge shout out to uh, Capiche, doing great work on the scene right now, putting together films, events, teams, sponsoring the right people in the park scene. And uh, Harlow Apparel, same thing. Um, Arsenic, um, and I think, I think overall, I want to give a big shout out to the ski scene right now because I think there's a lot of interesting stuff happening, and I really, really think that um, free skiing is being taken back from old racing corporations and and being owned by the free skiers uh right now and i think it's fantastic to see and that's definitely like one of the one of the big reasons we came to be as well is to 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 be to build something from free skiing and when i say free skiing it's like that's that's the main word for me because it's that's park skiing that's free riding that's like hiking mountains and skiing them whatever like just skiing without rules um and i think it's it's super interesting to see what's happening right now there are events happening we have kimbo sessions we have um all different types of stuff going on and and i think it's really it's more important than ever to support the right things. Um, and uh, of course, of course I want people to support us, but also like if you're buying, if you're just buying a hoodie, like buy a Harlow hoodie, like it's that easy. Like if you're, if you're buying, if you want a new black hoodie, like buy it from, buy it from the right brands, buy it from people that you support. And I think Dan Asim who, who makes arsenic is, He's one of the best to talk about this uh, and mm-hmm. supporting. And he always says, like, never ask your friends for a discount. Like, that's the one. That's if your friend started the company, that's the one company you shouldn't ask for a discount. That's mm-hmm. the company you should put, put, pay full price for because that's like supporting. And I think I always take that with me. And, and I think it's, uh, it's a great mentality to have. I like that and a I lot. Think, yeah, yeah. Overall, just a big shout out to skiing right now because there's so much stuff going on. We, uh, I don't think we were recording, but um, before this, we had some complications in terms of getting this podcast started. Um, I had to run between two locations because Wi-Fi was out. And then Pabin, 
Uh, also had to do that eventually, but before that you had to break into uh, a villa, I think as you described it, and you sent me a picture, and I immediately noticed the capiche belt you were wearing uh, when you sent that over. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you made it, and yeah, there it is on the screen. Um, it is, I think it is really cool to see not only all those brands coming up, but it's like enough of them have been around for long enough where I'm like, I'm optimistic because in the past, I feel like there are so many new brands that were coming up and then disappearing within a year or something like that. But it seems like people are investing into the, into the people who are, are a part of the industry. Um, and that kind of leads me into my final question before wrapping it up. Um, do you, Paven, you just kind of covered some of the cool aspects of snow sports right now. Do you guys have any predictions or things you'd hope or like to see in the next five to 10 to however many years in terms of the ski world? Big question. <laughs> How much time you got? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I really, really, as I said, I just really hope that free skiing can be, can be uh, free skiing uh, as much as possible. <clears throat> and I think some things, for example, like Armada being bought by Armor Sports might to a lot of people look like, oh, no. But to me, it's like, yeah like even the big boys wants free skiing stuff started from free skiers now you know mm -hmm. even the big money wants in and i think that's just to me like that like that business acquisition happening is just like that's a proof of concept like you can start something in free skiing and go big if you want to because I've heard for so many years, like growing up in, in, in free skiing, it's like, there's no money in the ski industry. I don't know. I don't know how, how many times I've heard that. Mm -hmm. uh, but there is. <laughs> We're a lot of free skiers out there. And we can, we can do whatever we want. And as long as we support each other, I think we're going to do very well. So I think that's my, that's my hopes for the future that people um, like stay in free skiing and support free skiing um yeah i'd like to see like uh you know the outdoors industry and skiing in particular be like a role model in sustainability because there's a lot of people skiers that care for skiing and care for like our planet and stuff and i think skiing allows for people to have like a deeper connection with nature which which is kind of foundational if you want to also like you know fight climate change and stuff so um i think that you know that'd be cool to see a bigger you know to see brands jump on on this trend and that that our industry can be example can be an example for bigger industries as well um and then i like i like to see free skiing blossoming and i'm really i'm excited to see i'm really excited to see free skiing grow you know, it's still a very young sport where, and I'm excited to be a part of it and to grow with it, grow old with it. So I just got all my fingers crossed that, you know, it'll, it's going to be a good ride. 
All right. Well, I think we will wrap it at that. Thank you guys so much for taking the time, breaking into houses, staying up late to record this with me. Um, and yeah, sharing your opinions on, or thoughts on the, the industry on 1000 skis. And I continue to look forward to everything you guys keep working on. So appreciate the time you took today and I'm sure we will talk to you in the future. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. I think it was uh, it was super fun, and it's always fun talking about skiing. Yeah, thank you, Luke. I appreciate you, and uh, I appreciate you having on, us on this platform. Um, yeah, it was a great conversation. Sweet, thank sweet. You. See you guys. Now it is time for our weekly crashes and close calls segment. Now, once again, I am happy to report that I have not seriously injured myself in the past few days, but I was recently reminded of a close call from the past. Now, last week, I was back home in Wisconsin, spending time with family, eating a lot of cheese, and getting as much time on the water as I could fit in in a handful of days. Now, one of my favorite spots up there is a very small lake that's hard to get to and consequently offers some of the best fishing I've ever experienced. Uh, but there always seems to be this massive snapping turtle just lurking around. And anytime I see it rise out of the, the lake's super murky water, I just about have a heart attack, uh, especially uh, after as a child, I had witnessed, uh, let's just say the aftermath of what happens when a snapping turtle does manage to latch onto uh, a fish that is maybe hanging off the side of your canoe. But anyway, I did not see it this time, thankfully, but being there kept making me think of another day back in Milwaukee when I was wade fishing the Milwaukee River with my toes just dangling out the front of my chacos and I came within less than a foot of stepping directly on a snapping turtle that was larger than any dinner plate I've ever seen and I am still extremely thankful that I just happened to look down and see it uh, before I stepped on it since it was directly where I was about to go or else I might currently have an even harder time fitting into ski boots than I already do or maybe it'd be easier uh, either way at least now <laughs> if I have a toe removed by any reptiles while I'm out fishing I at least won't have to stress about the resulting medical bills since I'm a Blister Plus member and fishing is just one of the many, many outdoor activities covered under Blister Plus's injury insurance. So if I or any other Blister Plus member gets injured while doing any one of those activities, we are covered for up to $25,000 per injury with zero deductible and no location or network restrictions. As always, you can learn more about Blister Plus and sign up at any time over on our site or via the link in the show notes to this episode. And that brings us to our weekly What We're Celebrating segment. And in addition to being thankful, I still am uh, in ownership of all my digits. <laughs> I'm celebrating a surprise I got on the walk to Blister HQ the other day. Now, for those who have walked around Mount Crested Butte, and taking advantage of all the awesome pedestrian and rec paths around here. Many of the lampposts on those rec paths feature photos of cool places and people doing fun activities around the valley. And apparently they just replaced them 
but I was not expecting to see myself on one of them. Uh, as it turns out, one of the awesome shots that Crested Butte photographer slash blister podcast editor extraordinaire Taylor Ahern had snapped of me last season made the cut this year. So even though no one can tell it's me, which I'm grateful for since I'll be seeing it just about every day, I do now have a fun reminder of one of the best days I've ever had on skis every time I walk to work. So maybe that'll make me more motivated next time to head down uh, the next instance where Jonathan calls for help because he thinks we moved his, his jump rope in Blister HQ even though he clearly just lost it. Anyway, with that, I will close out this episode of Gear 30. Thank you to Magnus and Pabin for the excellent conversation. Thank you to Justin Bob, who I not only appreciate for his good looks, but also his personality, looking at you, Jonathan, for editing this episode. And thank you all for listening. As always, take good care of yourselves and everyone else. And we will talk to you again next week. See ya.